All right, once again, we're reading from Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. So last week, uh, as as we're working through this series on the Beatitudes, last week we began to consider... Two Beatitudes found in verses 8 and 9. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We believe that the transformation that takes place in our lives when we experience Christ is one that takes place from the inside out. Just like the song that we just sung about, this transformation takes place first on the inside and that leads us to transformation outside. It leads us to do something about it. To not just have the transformation take place inside, but it also affects our outward attitudes and actions. Last week, Pastor Paul said that to be pure in heart is to be completely sincere. It is undivided loyalty towards God. The blessing of this beatitude, of the pure in heart, is that they will see God. This leads us to today's beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will see God. Now last week, as Pastor Paul was talking about the pure in heart, uh, if you remember, he he mentioned several Old Testament characters uh, who saw God. Again, based on that promise, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Pastor Paul talked about some characters in the Old Testament who saw God, who experienced, had a firsthand encounter with God. And what we talked about is that each time they had that that outward or that, that inward encounter with God, it led them to do something. It led them to an action. One of these guys that Pastor Paul mentioned was Isaiah. If you remember, we saw Isaiah seeing God, and in God's presence, he needed to be touched with the burning coal on his lips to remove his iniquities, to be in the presence of God. And if you remember how that, how that section of Scripture ends, God is questioning, who shall I send to do my work? And in this beautiful moment of response, 
Isaiah, having encountered God, been in the presence of God, with God asking, who shall I send? Who will do my work for me? Who will go? Who will take this inward transformation that has taken place and take it outward? In this beautiful response, Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. Or is that the response that you have when you have an encounter with God? I'm reminded, as Amy just beautifully said, that as we do this together here as a body of Christ, and we sing songs to God, and I believe that it's in this midst that we can certainly have a face-to-face encounter with God. I wonder, does this lead us to that same response of Isaiah? To say, here am I, send me. May this inward, may this encounter with God lead me to say, here am I, send me. But to what? Send me to what? This is where this week's beatitude comes in. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I want to look at this beatitude this morning backwards. I want to start with the, with the blessing and then work backwards to, the, to the what we're supposed to do. Uh, first, let's take a look at the promise. They shall be called sons of God. Or we'll say for the purposes, they shall be called sons and daughters of God. Now this idea of sons and daughters of God is not so much about a familial status. In other words, it's not so much saying like showing our place in the family as a son or daughter. Rather, this is more perhaps talking about the idea of doing the work of God. Think about Barnabas in the Bible. What was Barnabas' nickname, if you will? He was the son of encouragement. Why? Because he did the work of encouraging. He encouraged. He did the work of encouraging. And so he was therefore called Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Think about that in the context of this particular promise. They shall be called sons and daughters of God. They shall be called someone who does the work of God. This is where we now go back to the beginning of the Beatitude. They will be called sons and daughters of God's, or they will be called ones who do the work of God if they are peacemakers. The work of God is peacemaking. Our God is a God of peace. Now let's talk about this idea of peace real quick. Uh, What we often have in mind when we think of peace is simply an absence of conflict. That's a pretty weak idea of peace. Because think about it this way. You've had a really long day at work. Your co-workers have driven you to your wit's end. Of course, that never actually happens, but we're going to hypothetically think about that for a second. But you've had a rough day at work, and you just want to go home, and what do you want to do? You want to kick on Netflix and catch up on your favorite TV series, your binge-watching. I'm guilty. I like to do that, too. You just want to sit there on your couch and just partake in something that doesn't require me to think. I just want to kind of sit here because the day has been rough. Now, maybe if your kids have grown and have moved out, you actually get to do that. But for those of us who have not arrived there yet, you know what happens. 
It's not too long after you plop down in your couch that your kids begin to argue with each other. I know, it's crazy. Maybe, I, maybe I'm the only one that this happens. Maybe. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad there for a minute I thought I was. Your kids begin to argue with one another, and then your kids begin to argue with you. I know, that doesn't really happen either, right? Your kids begin to argue with you, and at that moment, you've let that day at work, your crazy day at work, get the best of you, and you snap, and you yell. I don't know what the words are. The words don't really matter, but in your frustration, you yell. Again, we're all hypothetical. I know this has never happened to anyone. But you raise your voice at an extreme level, and all of a sudden, it's eerily silent in your house? Is there peace in your house? No. There's just silence out of fear. (laughs) There's silence because your kids are so afraid of what's going to happen next that they're just going to stop talking. That's not peace. That's an absence of active yelling at each other, arguing. That's it. Your voice, your fear has put an end to that nonsense of arguing, but there's not peace in that house. The peace implied here in Scripture that Jesus is talking about as He's teaching His people, as He's preaching on on the the mountainside, as He's talking about peace, has to be so much more than just this absence of conflict. Now, we know that uh, the New Testament was written in in Greek and some Aramaic, and and Jesus, as he was sitting on this mountainside and teaching the people, was likely speaking in Aramaic. But let's not forget that Jesus was a Jew. Jesus had deep ties to the Hebrew community. So there's no doubt in my mind, as Jesus is teaching about this, and he says, blessed are the peacemakers, there's no doubt in my mind that Jesus was thinking about this Hebrew idea of peace that we call shalom. Shalom. Shalom is more than just this absence of conflict. Shalom is this idea of wholeness, completeness, Health, welfare, harmony, reconciliation, justice. This idea of returning things to the way that God intended them when He created. That is shalom. And there's no doubt in my mind that this is what Jesus had in mind when He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who work to restore things to the way God intended them. This idea of peacemaking is the work of God. Think about what God has done for us through Christ. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says, For God was pleased to have all this fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Listen to the way Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. 
All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And He has committed to us this message of reconciliation. Listen to this part. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making His appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Peacemaking, reconciliation, shalom is the work of God. Through Jesus... God brought wholeness to His people, reconciling His people to Himself, breaking down barriers to completely welcome us in, making peace with His creation. This is the work of God. Now, when we encounter God, it leads us to do the work of God. Like I've already said, it leads us to peacemaking. When we have encounter with God and it leads us to an outward action, it leads us to peacemaking. It leads us to the work of God. Now, I've, I've already hit pretty hard on the idea of the, the kind of peace that we're talking about, but I want to I wanna kind of tell one more story to kind of help us get an idea of the kind of peace that we're not talking about. Uh, several weeks ago, Chelsea and I had taken the boys uh, on, you know, it's winter in Ohio, and so just telling the boys to go outside and play in the backyard is not always an option. Although, it can be. Just bundle up, right? You'll be okay. So in the, in the cold winter uh, evening, and we just needed the boys to uh, burn off some energy and, and get them out of the house, we took them to McDonald's to the play place. Thank you, Jesus, for McDonald's play place. Amen? We took them to McDonald's to the play place. Um... After, after several, several minutes of playing, uh, we, we, it was time to go home, and, and the boys said, can we get some ice cream? Uh, okay, so we obliged, and I went up to the counter at McDonald's, and I ordered them a McFlurry, uh, an M&M McFlurry, to take home, because we were tired of being at McDonald's, because you can only handle so much at McDonald's, amen, amen. So we got the McFlurry, said, okay, we'll share a McFlurry when we get home. I got the McFlurry. Chelsea had gone on out to the van to get Logan all strapped in. If you have an infant, you know it takes forever. And so she went ahead of us. Uh, I ordered the McFlurry, got it, walked out to the van, getting the boys in. I handed the, the McFlurry up to Chelsea to hold, and she looks at it. Realizing that it was only half full, she said, did the boys already eat some? I'm like, no, they must have just only filled it halfway. And she said... She had the nerve to tell me that I needed to go in and get it filled up again. <laughs> that I needed to take it back because we paid for a full McFlurry and I needed to go make it right. Now, if you don't know me, if you don't know the way my personality works, I am a peacekeeper. I'm, yeah, I see, yeah. Enneagram nines, what? Yeah, okay. I'm a peacekeeper. I avoid conflict at all cost. And Chelsea said, you need to take this in and have them fill it up. You paid for a full McFlurry. Do you know what my response was? Again, I'm a peacekeeper. I'm a conflict avoider at all costs. Guess what my response was? 
why don't I just go in and buy another one and then we'll have plenty for them? <laughs> like, because I'm such a peacekeeper, I was willing to go pay for another McFlurry rather than say, hey, can you just fill up our McFlurry? And of course, me being the good wife, the good wife, I'm... cool, cool, cool. Yeah, cool. Me being the good husband, sorry. Me being the good husband, I obliged Chelsea and I, you know, I took every ounce of energy within me to take that McFlurry and walk back up to the counter and be like, I'm really sorry, but you didn't feel this very full. Could you give a little bit more? I did it because my wife wanted me to and I just needed to do that. It was no big deal. They're like, oh yeah, you didn't hardly get any in there. We'll fill it up for you. And it was fine. But I'm such a peacekeeper. I avoid conflicts at all costs that I would rather rather pay for another McFlurry than go get that one filled. It's insane. I know. I understand. This is who I am. Don't judge me. (laughs) This idea of peacekeeping is not what we're talking about here. We're not simply talking about keeping the peace and avoiding conflict. We're talking about active peacemaking. Because we have encountered a peacemaking God. We have encountered a God who willingly sent His Son to the earth to reconcile us to Him. We we have encountered a God who actively makes peace with His people through His Son Jesus and reconciling us to Him. Because we have encountered that God, we actively do the work of peacemaking. We actively seek to bring about shalom to our world. We actively seek to bring about wholeness and justice to our world. We actively seek to bring reconciliation to our world. When we see brokenness, when we see injustice, when we see things that are not the way that God created them to be, we actively do something to bring about shalom. I was hoping for an amen there. <laughs> this is the work of God. This is what we do. Now, the rub is that the idea of peacemaking is much easier said than done. I would suggest that the biggest obstacle to this idea of peacemaking is fear. Now, even as I say that, that the biggest obstacle of peacemaking is fear, I can't help but think of the irony of the way the kingdom of the world uses fear to bring about kind of a fake peace. Think about the illustration of my kids at home. I, in in that situation, used fear, me raising my voice at an extreme level, I used fear to bring about a fake peace. We seek to bring peace among nations by flexing our military muscles. We use fear to bring about this faux peace. The very tool that we use people or that we use to bring about peace 
is instead a barrier to the true peacemaking that God has called us to do. The fear of the one who is not like us. The fear of the outsider. The fear of the future of our country. The fear of someone who has a different skin color than us. The fear of those who believe different. The fear of us losing our position of privilege. All of these fears prevent us from working toward the peace, the shalom, the wholeness that God has called us to. Fear is perhaps Satan's greatest tool because it forces us to draw lines and boundaries. Things that are antithetical to the shalom and wholeness of God. Operating from this place of fear is not peacemaking. It's not the work of God. Henry Nouwen, in his, in his book, The Road to Peace, says it this way, Peacemaking is the work of love, and in love there can be no fear, but fear is driven out by perfect love. Nothing is more important in peacemaking than that it flow from a deep and undeniable experience of love. Only those who know deeply that they are loved and rejoice in that love can be true peacemakers. Why? Because the intimate knowledge of being loved sets us free to look beyond the boundaries of death and to speak and act fearlessly for peace. Prayer is the way to that experience of love. By radically breaking through the boundaries between life and death, prayer makes us free to stand in the midst of this world without being overwhelmed by fear. The work of God is to break down barriers, to tear down the us versus them, to bring wholeness and reconciliation to the world that is so splintered and shattered by differences. May we be a people who, even when it's not popular, even when it makes people question our alliances, even when it leads us to being labeled something that we never wanted to be labeled, may we be a people who are called sons and daughters of God because we are doing the work of God. Amen. As you know, around here, we like, to, we like to end our services in a time of response. We do it different ways, different, different sermons. Sometimes the response is just a silent reflection. Sometimes it's a time of prayer at the altar. Sometimes we respond uh, by singing another song. This morning, the way that we are going to respond is one of my favorite responses that we can do in a service. And that's partake in communion. We're going to respond to the Word of God by participating in communion. When we take communion, we are participating in table fellowship. This table fellowship is such a beautiful reflection of this call to peacemaking for a couple reasons. First, it's a reminder of God's peace work that he has done through Christ. It's a reminder that God was willing to sacrifice to do the work necessary for us to be reconciled to Him. We participate in communion, in the Eucharist, in remembrance of this act of peacemaking, of reconciliation.
But what we do here this morning is also a reflection of the work of God in that when we participate in communion, we don't do it alone. We don't participate in communion by ourselves. We participate in communion with other people. When we take communion, when we, when we do table fellowship with other people, it naturally breaks down the barriers between people. When we participate in the table fellowship, it, it, we, it's as though we're saying that even though we may not look the same, even though we may not have the same opinions, we are willing to join together in table fellowship to break bread. We're willing to break down the barriers between us and focus on the thing that binds us. Jesus. So as we partake in communion this morning, may this not just be a symbol. May this act be something that reminds us of our call to go from here and do the work of God. That we may be called sons and daughters of God. In just a second, we're going to dismiss from the back. Um, could you gentlemen back there help uh, Adam and Chris? Could you just kind of send them that way? Um, we're going we're gonna, to uh, dismiss from the back and we're going to participate in communion uh, via intinction. Now, I'll also tell you that we intentionally chose to do communion on a fifth Sunday when our kids were in service um, because this is a powerful thing to participate together as a family. And I know that there's some sort of, you know, like, is my kid old enough to, to participate in communion and, and things like that? Let me just tell you that as a church, we believe that communion is a means of grace. Meaning that there's no certain like, okay, you've arrived and now you may take communion. We believe it's an act of grace and so we'll leave it up to you as a parent but would encourage you to partake in communion together as a family. There are gluten-free options in the middle if, if you need that. Um, but I'm going to pray in just a second and then we're going to dismiss uh, and, and partake in table fellowship together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your life. A life of reconciliation. God, we thank you that you are a God of peace, a God of reconciliation who, who wasn't satisfied with just staying away. But you sent your son. You came here to dwell among us to bring peace, to reconcile us to you. May we, as we participate in table fellowship and then go our own separate ways, may we be reminded that the work of God is peacemaking and that we are to be about that work. In Jesus' name we pray.